This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Hi, I'm Justin Chen, and I'm about to have a productive conversation with Mike Vardy. Welcome to A Productive Conversation. It's me, Mike Vardy, and I am joined this time around by Justin Chen. He is the co-founder of PickFu, a consumer research platform that companies use to get fast, reliable feedback from real people. Justin and I chat about PickFu and the importance of feedback. We chat about his own entrepreneurial journey. We talk about AI. Plenty of insights in this episode. Lots of lessons to be learned. So let's get to it. Here's my conversation with Justin Chen. Enjoy. Justin, thank you so much for joining me for a productive conversation today. Thanks for having me, Mike. Just uh, before we hit record, we're talking about weather and where we're on the West Coast and just kind of diving into things a little bit. Well, I want to dive into um, your story because when um, when we connected, uh, one of the things that, that, that the timeliness of this, I think, was really apt because as I am kind of in the final phases of the book journey in terms of crowdfunding, it was something that I wanted to do. And when I got the message that you wanted to chat with me, some of that stuff showed up, especially with relation to, to pick foo, which I'd like to get out of the gate, right? Like what is pick foo and what, how did, what, what came to you to decide like, Hey, this is something that I want to pursue. Yeah. So pick foo is a uh, easy way to gather consumer insights. So um, basically any kind of creative, creative decision you want to get feedback on, whether it's a business idea, logo, book titles, book covers, or common things, product design, you can pose it as a microsurvey on our site. And we're going to reach out to people and we're going to pay them to, to vote on which one they like, give written explanations why, and give demographic information. And this was born out of our own need as entrepreneurs. We were, we were actually working on a redesign for a completely different business of a website that we were doing. And the, my co-founder and I couldn't decide on which design to go with. And so being engineers, we're like, why don't we just build the service to do this? Because we don't want to go into a coffee shop and we don't want to talk to real people. We want to do this from behind our screens. And by that point, um, you know, friends and family were kind of getting tired of answering all of our questions, which any entrepreneur is probably used to. And so we wanted to build something that uh, we could use and we figured other people would get value from. And so it really, it really lived as a side project for a number of years, uh, just kind of, you know, serving our needs and serving the needs of others until it started growing. And, and we've discovered there's this whole need um, of being able to gather this kind of consumer feedback in a really easy way, uh, because a lot of larger companies obviously are doing this kind of these studies all the time, but they have the budget right. and they have the time to do it. But 
you know, us guys, if you if you just want to get feedback on your book cover, you're not going to go contract with a market research consultant and do all this kind of stuff. So that's that's the need that it serves. So as you're talking about this, I'm thinking, you know, in terms of not just feedback on that front, but like ideas in terms of so, for example, I'm exploring like this idea of being a night owl, right? And what people think about and so on and so forth. Like those, I think you can head down that path with, with PicFu as well, I would imagine, right? Yeah. So a lot of, a, a lot of interesting ways to use it are to gather open-ended feedback on ideas or, you know, a lot of people are trying to figure out, hey, if you're a mom with kids, like, do you ever have this issue? And, you know, getting them to kind of just vocalize what the issues might be, what potential solutions might be, or even posing a solution to them and seeing what the reactions would be. So, you know, just like what you might try to do in person, if you found a mom's group or you went to a coffee shop or a Facebook, you know, mom's group or whatever it is, but being able to do it instantly uh, from your computer without having to have those connections or that those sources of traffic. Well, and I guess confirmation bias gets thrown out the window too, because exactly. I think that's that's one of the things, and it's a nice dovetail into the idea of what when we talk about being productive and managing our relationship with time, how how biases like cognitive biases can really affect our outcomes. So I would imagine, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, not just in terms of you know the context of yes, obviously this would help because you know we don't know what we don't know, right? Mm-hmm. We can inform it as much as we, that's why I like having a conversation with generative AI. Like I've had those conversations, and it's great, but you know that the way you ask the question can lead yes. to confirmation bias, which is fine if that's the argument you want to present. But if you're trying to attract or you just like going in without knowing, I think that's a really important thing, isn't it? Like to be open to the idea, like, look, I don't know. And I want to know, and this is something that, that, you know, I, I need to, I need to kind of lean into, is there, is there an area where you felt like, you know, I need to lean into this fact that I don't know, and I need to get feedback or insights from, from another arena. Can you give me an example of where that happened to you in your entrepreneurial journey? Hmm. Interesting. Um, an example in our own journey. Well, I wish we had this when we started <laughs> our first business. Uh, our first business was, uh, you know, uh, a restaurant review menu aggregator uh, that was competing with City Search and Yelp. Incredibly tough, t- tough space. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we did it self-funded. And I think it would be, it would have been very helpful to do idea validation around the like kind of the different trajectories and the features that we that we wanted to to add. And that's where we see a lot of people using it now, which is great because I think the problem is the the typical customer journey that we find is that people come to us when they're trying to, you know, performance isn't doing well, whether whatever it is they're they're doing, you know, maybe it's a mobile game and the downloads aren't coming, or they're selling something on Amazon and like the sales aren't happening, so they come to us and. What they actually try to do first is they try to optimize uh, some kind of like performance lever. So like, can we improve the main image on Amazon, right? Because that's right. an obvious thing. And they'll they'll test like their image against their competitors. The problem is the feedback that they get is your branding kind of sucks or your packaging is horrible, your colors or your product design. And like all these critical things that if they had just designed the right thing from the very beginning, gotten feedback, you wouldn't have to rework it. But now... All they're trying to do is like, oh, all I want to do is change the image, but that's not going to do anything because no one likes your 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 core offering, right? Right. And that's that's where feedback should happen earlier as opposed to just like you know later. And so th- this idea of minimizing rework mm-hmm. is is really what we're trying to do now because if we can get you to iteratively get uh, directional feedback, 
you know, starting from like the idea of your book, perhaps, or like, and then the, you know, the tone that you're going to take, or like even maybe the, like the way that chapters are laid out. I don't know. There's a lot of different things, a lot of micro decisions that you're making, which mm -hmm. you're either making yourself or you're maybe talking to your editor or your friends and family. Um, but like you said, then you have to start introducing some of that bias are all the people that you're asking, your actual, your target, your target audience and all these kinds of things. Well, and I think the other thing, and I found this in my own journey is you're so close to it that you sure, miss the sure. gaps, right? Like I know when I talk about things like attention pass, I know what I'm talking about. And anyone who's been exposed to my work for a long period of time knows. But then when the editor goes, what is this? I'm like, well, come on, don't you get it? Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Surely, like if they get it, then why do you think people have such a hard time asking for feedback out of the gate? Like, why don't they make feedback and integrity? Like, uh, uh, why don't they pepper that throughout their journey? I'm guilty of it for sure. Yeah. But why do you think that is? I mean, I, I think it's two factors. One is you're you're emotionally tied to it, um, whether it's your own thing or it's your part of your job. Like it's it's a judgment. It feels like a judgment on you and the decisions that you've made. And I know that as an entrepreneur that I I feel judged right when I get feedback. And so like it does take some kind of inertia to to break through that. And so I I think it's hard for people to be vulnerable about that kind of feedback. I think the other factor is that you feel like because you're almost an industry expert that you should know better. Like, Oh, you know, I've been working on this for the past year or whatever it is. So like, I've got all this knowledge and and maybe that's true. Like, of, of course there's, you know, you've got an important body of knowledge, but that doesn't mean that you, you know, everything or, and you know, that the thing that you're outputting is going to resonate with the market. So um, I think those are kind of the two biggest factors. And, you know, a lot of times when we, we talk to customers, they're always shocked. Like, I really didn't think that was the one that was going to win. I decided to test it, but like, I thought the one, I thought mine was going to win. Yeah. And yeah. they're, they're like shocked. Sometimes they ask for a refund because like, that, that's not what I wanted to hear. Oh, wow. That, that's not the way it works, but. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this, this lends me to a couple thoughts right out of the gate. Number one, um, the old, the scene from Ted Lasso where he's playing darts and uh, I don't know if you've seen this episode. You've probably seen Ted Lasso. A lot I have. I have. There, there's the clips day. on YouTube. We'll link to the cl clip in the show notes for those that haven't because um, some people don't have Apple TV+. Plus. I devoured this series. I've actually watched it twice yeah, now. Great. But there's a scene, spoiler alert, where um, Ted Lasso, the main character, um, is basically trying to circumvent the old owner of the club, who, uh, and they're going to play darts. And uh, the old owner, who is a bit of a, he's basically the, the antagonist of the series, um, starts playing darts with them. And uh, he has this preconceived notion that because Ted Lasso is American and he doesn't mm. know much about this or that, that he's going to lose. And turns out that's not the case. And, you know, the, the quote that Ted Lasso, you know, says, which I think is something I'm trying to live by more and more. And I think more people is be curious, not judgmental by Walt mm -hmm. Whitman. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the scene plays out and you can watch it in the show notes, but the, basically if the antagonist had been more curious, he probably wouldn't have made that major bet that he did. Yeah. And Ted won the game. So why do you find, actually, let, let, I want to ask you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come 
Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Have you found that you've become more curious because of this journey that you've built? Like is curiosity kind of coming to the fore? We need judgment, of course. It helps keep us alive. Yeah. But, but, but do, you, do you find that you've, you're leaning more into curiosity than judgment these days? Yeah, I think I think this path of of building this kind of service and then working with so many different types of customers has led us to be much more open minded. I think to to not only customer feedback but also just open to the direction that that we go. Actually, like the the journey that we've taken with Pickfu has been very customer driven. So when we first started, we really thought it was going to be oh, all the tech entrepreneurs are going to use this, right? That's not the direction it went. It, There's it was irony actually, there. You're eating your own dog food. That's irony. Like, yeah. oh man. <laughs> it was it was uh it was self-publishing authors was the very first segment that was super fascinating. And so like just diving into that space and learning about like their journey and then helping them with book titles and book covers and and all these th- types of things and um just really being open to go in a lot of different directions. And now as we're uh, growing even larger, we we find that over half of our customer base is not even in the U.S. And so now we're servicing a huge diversity of clientele. And that's really opening our eyes to uh, the ways that we word things and positioning and like this, even just the, the different features that we offer. And so I think it's been a very mind, mind expanding uh, journey for sure. And I know that in our own team, we're constantly gathering feedback, both through PickFu and also just talking to our customers and and really harping on that. Well, we don't know. Like we we have to discover, we have to understand um, people's problems and kind of go in that direction. It also, I think, and I've noticed this in my own community as well, the Time Crafting Trust Premium community, uh, the the ability to like asking for feedback gives them what they want, which makes them more engaged, which makes them mm. more, they feel part of the process. That's like, I mean, the crowdfunding yeah. aspect for sure. Yeah. Um, one of the things I was going to get to is um, we talked, I, I touched on generative AI for a moment there. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be some people who listen to this episode, um, you know, where they're like, well, I can, can I just ask chat GPT for, for this and get, so do we want to get into the nuances here? Because sure. I think like I already alluded to the confirmation bias yeah. aspect, which means yeah. you're probably not like I've had conversations with it where it's like, yes, you're supporting every aspect of my argument, which is good, which by the way is really good for position. Like if you want to support your argument or your, you know, like for example, when I talk about the term productiveness versus productivity and I input the, the stuff that I know to be true about the history of those terms and it, it, confirms that to a degree. It also offers some additional insights. So it's almost like I'm having a conversation, but in my own head, it's not like I'm having a conversation with anything truly external. It's yeah. just that I have access to what, what AI has done. In particular, we're talking about chat GPT four here is it's grabbing it from multiple sources and it would be as if I read everything about it. And then yeah. it's going here, Mike, this is what you, so 
if someone's looking at this, why, why, well, first off, I'm imagining that there is probably some machine learning and artificial intelligence involved with PickFu. There has to be. Mm -hmm. But also, why wouldn't somebody just go and use generative AI to come up with these solutions? What what are some of the caveats to that? Yeah, I mean, I I think you kind of touched on it a little bit there where two two points. Um, One is that when you're talking to ChatGPT or any publicly built model, uh, it's drawing from a lot of different sources. You don't you don't know what all the sources are. Obviously, there's millions of different sources. And so there's a lot of danger in that, right? You don't know which way it's biased. Even when you look at generative AI images, like they're clearly biased in certain directions and, and, you know, cultural bias from the stuff that it's consumed. It's a lot safer if you're dealing with AI, if in our opinion, to, uh, to give it what you want it to act on. And you kind of said that as well, right? Where you, you input the definitions. And so the way that we use AI right now is when we get all these written explanations on, on your, your, you know, whatever survey that you ran, we feed that into AI and we ask it to act on that body of knowledge. Right. So it's like, okay, so summarize this, you could ask it questions and things like that. And it's going to be scoped to like what we gave it. So I think that's a really good use of AI. I think using AI to generate solutions is, is it's very interesting. You may want to understand the problems first though, from actual people have AI uh, come up with some creative solutions, but then repose it back to actual people to understand if like that's actually going to resonate. And I think that's the same with AI generated content or or creatives. You don't know if it's still going to resonate with humans. Humans are still your consumer of your product or your service or whatever it is. So until the point that AI is doing all of the purchasing decisions and, and all that kind of stuff, like you still may want to get feedback from actual humans. Which, which, by the way, yeah, I don't think, I mean, that's the other thing is, is that we can go down this, we'll go down this rabbit hole a little bit is the people who are, I mean, afraid that AI is going to take away your job. Yeah. Um, if you use it correctly, in my opinion, it can actually make your job easier because sure. there's, there's, there's a human touch required. I mean, let's, let's use PicFu as an example. You're yeah. using AI to help distill and, and, and shape but at the end of the day, you still have, because you're specializing in, in a very specific way, which I think is the key, that requires wisdom, experience, maturity, empathy, compassion, all these things, taste that generative AI does not have as, exactly. at, at its disposal. Um, it's funny, um, literally this week, as we're recording this, the word of the year that was announced was authentic. I don't mm. know if you saw this, right? And... The funny thing is, is I have a friend of mine, his name's Anthony Marco. We used to do our podcast years ago called Discultured. And he actually did a whole uh, presentation on, um, it was called like Manufactured Authenticity, I think was mm. the name of it. And you can certainly do that. But at the end of the day, like if I'm using uh, generative AI or if I'm like presenting that to a person, if the, depending on the proximity that that relationship is, they can tell whether it's you, yeah. Or whether and here's the trickier part, I think. Which and by the way, I, I believe all of this stuff is related to productivity because it can help you be more productive and do the things that only humans can do. Yeah. But the interesting thing is, is that because it's so out there right now, there are people that I've I've sent an email to somebody and they're like, and it was a it was an email to one of my and he goes, it's really interesting that AI wrote this. I'm like, AI didn't write this, but because <laughs> it's so out there now. Yeah, there there can be that assumption as well. Sure. So, so when again ba- circling back to the 
why doesn't someone just do this on their own? I mean, you're not going to, I would, you're not going to get that authentic feedback, right? You're going to get pooled feedback where, which, which you can't necessarily yeah. niche down into, right? Yeah. You're going to get so many generalizations and, you know, even, uh, even worse, you can get the uh, hallucinations and yeah, that might steer you in completely the wrong direction, right? And that's what we're trying to avoid. The whole point of, of getting this feedback is avoid going in the wrong direction and, you know, if you if you put too much trust into AI, you know, it's trust but validate, right? That's what they always say. And if you're not able to validate it against actual humans, then you're you're kind of going down a dangerous path. So I agree. There's a there's a lot of ways to use AI, and it's definitely a tool and input that everyone needs to learn how to use, but just kind of in a, a smart way. I want to shift gears and talk about you said that you've got customers not just from north from the US, but all over. Yes. I'm assuming that your team is also distributed as most cases are these days, especially in the advent of COVID-19 and, and the global pandemic. Um, remote work has definitely been on the rise. Again, a lot like generative AI, genie's out of the bottle on that one. Like yeah. either, And it doesn't mean that, again, like with anything, it's not an all or nothing proposition. I mean, hybrid workforces, I think, are, are you know, can be played and leveraged both strengths and weaknesses. One of the examples I, I share with people is, uh, again, as a night owl, um, we, we shift more towards our hitting our productive stride later in the day. And mm. because that idea of distributed work, we can actually, you know, have the cadence of our workday be better attuned to the way we would work, which means the output is more optimal. It's better. We're more productive, right? So instead of being in the office at 9 a.m. for that meeting where none of us are paying attention because the night owls are dead and the early risers are like, come on, man, you're, I'm at my most productive. Why am I sitting in this meeting? Yeah. Instead, you've got like some balance there. So um, can you talk about the development of your distributed workforce and how you have leveraged it to be more of a strength and also, obviously, watching for some of the gaps that you may need to fill to make sure that those strengths don't, you know, get downplayed or overshadowed by some of the the, the warts that can come along with it. Yeah. So we were definitely fully remote before the pandemic. Uh, my co-founder, John, and I, despite both being in California, were never in the same city when we, when we worked on our things. And so we decided that, um, you know, if we were going to do fully remote, we would also make it a company-wide thing. We wouldn't try to locate to the same place just to make it fair. And so um, as we started building out the team, there's there's a lot of interesting aspects to distributed workforces that you could take advantage of. Obviously, coverage around the world is is an obvious one. But I think what's great that a great thing that we're looking for is actually diversity of of culture and language and you know geography. Because you know, as I said, when our customers are coming from different places, we we want the people who work on it to also come from different places. And so just having that very close feedback loop of, oh, that doesn't make sense in this language, in that language, or why are we assuming that this is the, you know, the case? That's not how we do it here, or even payment methods or whatever it is. There's so many different things. You're right. That's um, a, that's that's an excellent point because you're right, like the language like cultural differences in terms of expectation management and stuff mm -hmm. like that is completely different. And, and to have, yeah, that's a really great point because I don't think, I think people, you know, when they live in North America, like North America operates this way, therefore everybody should. And that's, yeah. I mean, you could look at your, I mean, that's why David Allen lives in Amsterdam now and was, pre, you know, kind of 
you know, proselytizing GTD over there because it's a different way of operating. Both geogra- I mean, my daughter's in Europe right now as we're recording this. She was in Pro- she's in Prague right now. Like a few days ago, she was in Munich. Like she's been to twelve different countries in a three week span. Um, when I worked for the Next Web, I was the Canadian editor, and they're like, "You can cover all of Canada, right?" I'm like, "Are you kidding me? It's like massive, and every different city." has its own, you know, again, nuances around tech. So yeah, that's a really great point. Yeah. So we so we love that aspect of it. I think it it really helps us both with product development, also kind of honing marketing messages to make sure that they're, you know, fair across different translations and, you know, interpretations for people where English is not their native language. And of course we try to localize into uh major languages as well. So and then beyond that, as you as you go distributed, you you try to be more productive with your time. You know, trying to do less synchronous uh, meetings, try to try to be a little bit more asynchronous with, you know, whether they're looms or documentation being a little bit better um, so that people can be productive on their own times, whether they're night hours or, you know, morning people. And then, of course, like, you know, not trying to synchronize too much across across the globe. But obviously, there are there are times where we we try to get together so that we can build some some rep- rapport and, you know, camaraderie. But we try to keep it uh, less frequent and, you know, allow people to kind of live their own lives in their own countries and their own time zones. Yeah, so let me ask you this. How often do you ask for feedback within your own workforce to make sure that you're actually doing the things that you should be doing? We try to, I mean, we ask for it all the time. We've, you uh-huh. know, we've got a lot of different avenues for it, uh, anonymous forms and like a, a process for uh, feedback meetings and all these kinds of things. And so, yeah, we're hoping that our, our, our ears close to the ground in terms of uh, fine tuning our own approach to it. Uh, but it's definitely a challenge. I mean, I, I don't think there's a strong playbook for running these very distributed companies, even, even the systems for you know, employee management and payroll and all that kind of stuff haven't caught up. And so a lot of it is cobbled together, as you probably know. And so, um, you know, we're, we're definitely riding the floor, you know, riding the, the, the front of the wave, uh, for this kind of stuff. But I think it is the direction that, um, more companies should be going in. Um, obviously you don't get the, maybe the high performance at some of the, like, the Silicon Valley companies where they're all in the same, you know, the same uh, office and all that kind of stuff. Like there are things to gain from that, but I think you, you, you can balance it out with, with the other gains. And it kind of depends on the uh, trajectory or the speed that you're trying to go. I think if we don't mind taking a slower approach, if it's a little bit more deliberate going at the pace that we want to go. Um, so yeah. like, you know, we've always tried to run in a, a we self-funded and we didn't want to take like venture funding and all that kind of stuff because we want to grow at a certain trajectory um, and manageable pace, life, you know, work-life balance and allow us to organically go in a direction that we felt like fit our vision as opposed to like what a board or investors would want us to do. Well, and what do they say? Slow is smooth and smooth is fast, right? Yeah, exactly. The idea that it's interesting because I think that a distributed workforce, yes, there there's challenges, but some of the benefits and this alludes back to our earlier points about you know using like prompts and things like that you get better at figuring out okay i need to be more descriptive about this i need to create these sops because i'm not i'm not 
I'm not asking for TPS reports looming over top of the, the person in the cubicle, right? And then you get, so you, you mentioned a high performance, but we also in office environments, we run the risk of performative work, right? Where we're there mm, for 10 hours, yeah. but we're actually only <laughs> engaged for five, right? So exactly. again, there's no, the thing is, is it's not black or white. It's not left or right. It's it's yeah. all gray, right? And, and what's interesting, especially when you talk about that diversity factor and culture, the, I mean, I know when I worked with um, virtual assistants over in the Philippines, like there's certain things that like they get, you know, a, a month's worth of, typically a month's worth of pay as, as VAs. That's what they get as a bonus for a Christmas. Like that's mm-hmm. just something that people do. And I'm like, really? I, that's, that's a nuance for that particular area. Yeah. And when I was at running remote, there were tons of teams um, that were there that were distributed, number one. But number two, there was an organization that said, we handle all of your payroll stuff for different countries because different countries have different laws yeah. and different ways of, and it's like, okay. The nice thing about it too is, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a distributed, I run a distributed workforce as well. I mean, my Sarah, who is currently my operations assistant, has been for a while, does fantastic work. She's uh, she's on the East Coast of the United States. Uh, so is my podcast producer. And other people that I've worked with have been all over the world, which allows me to be all over the world too, which is a nice yeah. thing as well, exactly. right? Before we wrap up, I want to kind of get into the, if someone is trying to get into the loop of getting feedback, so creating their own, you know, being more curious rather than judgmental, kind of trying to get rid of some of the assumptions that they have and being okay with like, I don't know this and I need feedback. What is one thing that they can do to kind of flip that switch? Like something simple that they could take away today and go, you know what, I'm going to try this and hopefully it will start a domino effect of being more um, open and receptive to getting feedback more often than not. Yeah. I mean, I I think it starts by... Um, as you're making a decision, and I, th- I think this will take some self-reflection to understand when you're, you know, making an assumption and some kind of decision. But even just starting by asking your own team or your friends and family is the first thing, because I don't even think enough people do that. I know you're going to get some of that cognitive bias. Even just getting into that pattern of getting feedback on your work from somebody is going to be the first step. Now, obviously, we, I would like you to go further beyond that bubble and and you know find your target audience or or someone even outside the company, maybe it could be a trusted advisor. Maybe you've got like a, a colleague in a, a different company or, or a mentor or something like that, where it's at least outside of your day-to-day, that would probably be the next step. And then beyond that, I, I think using some kind of survey platform, whether it's PicFu or something else, even Facebook ads or Google ads, you know, something to get actual people to to give you feedback on, the, on uh, your decisions, I think would be the, the last step. It's interesting you mentioned getting thoughts from from family and friends. My family and friends that they when they when they what does Mike do? They're like I don't know. Like I don't, oh, I don't know what he yes. does. I've I've now I've said like just, you know yeah, I'm, you a writer, I'm, this, I'm at the point now where I just say you know like I I am a a, a time theorist at this point. Like right mm-hmm. like I present that you know I have my but there's so many things and you're but it's interesting. I think one of the things I end up spending more time doing in the community that I I host, of course, but also I have had conversations with generative AI because number one, it doesn't get bored with my conversation points. And number two, it it, it does give me that outlet. And I think that that's, mm, that's I think, that's a huge key, yeah. right, is when you get when you're asking for feedback, it's not if you come at it from a vantage point of. I need an outlet to figure things out as opposed to I need to ask because 
I'm not sure. I think if, if you can, cause then I think you're, you're, you're giving the ego a bit of a break, right? Because the mm -hmm. ego is the thing that's going to keep us from going like, cause it's the thing that knows and yep. the one that lives in fear. But if you're like, I, I need an outlet and feedback is the outlet. I think maybe, maybe, um, is that may be the key to unlocking your willingness to do it. Right. And then when you've got a, a tool like pick foo, it, the, the less friction, right. There's less friction to do it. Right. So, yeah. um, Justin, this has been a great conversation. Thanks so much for taking the time. Where can people, uh, keep up with you and learn more about what pick foo has to offer? Yeah. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can search for Justin Chen. Um, Happy to connect there. Uh, you can definitely learn more about PickFu at PickFu.com, P-I-C-K-F-U.com. And we've got, uh, it's all self-service, free to sign up for an account. And we've got a very helpful customer success team that can hop on a call or live chat with you if you have any questions about getting into this habit. And it is a habit that we 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 try to instill. You know, it's it's all about building the habit for gathering feedback. And we'd rather you get smaller, more frequent feedback than just like, a lot of people tend to wait till the very end. And this is kind of like the traditional market research approach. Like, hey, we're going to run this giant study at the end, you know, and maybe it becomes like the Peloton ad. I don't even know if they ever, you know, ran feedback on some of these things or like new Coke or new Pepsi or whatever it is. Like there's so many things that have flopped. Oh, new Coke one. didn't. Neither did Crystal Pepsi. Neither <laughs> of them did it. <laughs> so it's it's kind of crazy when you when you see these things happen happen in public, uh, and you wonder, you know, did they they have the resources? Did they even get the feedback? Yeah. It, it, again, this is a good example of iterative is better than than you know incidental. Exactly. <laughs> um, Ju Justin, thanks so much for taking the time today to have a productive conversation with me. Thanks, Mike. Thanks to Justin for joining me on this episode. You can find all of the relevant links and helpful feedback and show notes and all that stuff. And we know feedback is important at, at productivityist.com slash podcast 506. That's the episode we're on right now. Speaking of feedback, I'd love to get your feedback. Leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts regarding this episode, regarding the podcast in general. That's how we get better each and every week. Another way to support the show, of course, is to check out the sponsors you heard during today's conversation. You can go to productivityist.com slash podcast sponsors to make that happen. That's it for this episode of A Productive Conversation. Until next time, I'm Mike Vardy, the host of A Productive Conversation, reminding you to stop doing productive and start being productive. See you later.